Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Securities, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Dallas Baker join us. Dallas is a U.S. Army veteran. He is a cybersecurity professional. He's got a ton of experience in cybersecurity and in technology. He is skilled at Python, at SQL, at information security, at JavaScript, at networking. He's worked for some of the best known companies out there, Blue Cross of California, PayPal, Perimeter X, to name a few. Uh, thank you for being here on a Friday, Dallas. Appreciate you taking the time. That's an honor. Thank you. So, you know, when uh, whenever we get ex-military professionals on it's, it's like a standard question that we always ask about people yeah there's actually two of them but was there in in the did you pick up your cybersecurity and technical skills in the military or did the military help prepare you for this journey in any way or um yes it's, it's kind of an interesting thing um so when i first went into the military i just went in as a it specialist Okay. And so it's pretty, pretty easy job. Basically, I'm just helping a lot of commanders and officers fix their printer or uh, get their internet working or, or, you know, simple things. And sometimes I would like walk across the desert just to find, you know, their laptops not working and it's because they don't have it plugged in and the battery died. So Holy smoke, man. That's got to be the most dangerous networking job in the world. You had to walk across a desert to fix somebody's. They, that's combat pay, I hope. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's just comical because, well, typically where these, you know, where the commanders are, they're not like in c combat zones, but you're sweating, you're walking all the, to get there. And you've already asked these questions like, is the battery dead? Is it plugged in? And it's like, it's plugged into the wall. It's plugged into the laptop, but the, the brick and the cable isn't connected. So of course it doesn't have any power. So you, there's comical things like that that's happened. Um, and I, hey, you know what? I'm actually glad to hear you say that because when I was an engineer, I had, well, I believe it or not, one of the basic things was, is it plugged in? And I can't tell you the number of times it actually was not, the computer was not plugged in. <laughs> it happens. You check every, you, you overcomplicate some things and, and, you know, you, you're looking for this big problem and it's actually the simple <laughs> thing that. That's Sorry, it. now that I derailed your train of thought, let's pick it up where. <laughs> yeah, so and and I did that because uh, you know, growing up it was pretty difficult for me, and I went to like five different high schools and stuff, and uh, I didn't necessarily have real plans to go to college, so that's why I joined the military. But while I was in high school, I did AP computer science, so okay. that's kind of where I picked up my programming skills. Um, um, but initially, yeah, I didn't really have any experience in cybersecurity. When I got out of active duty, I was working on like websites and mobile application development, that kind of thing, um, which I kind of self-taught using uh, Udemy and Pluralsight and different things. Um, and I kind of got my, my grounds because I would go into the yellow pages and call these really small businesses that had shady websites and say, hey, can I redesign your website and uh, make it more appealing for your customers? And so I built like a little portfolio and then I went on to work for some other companies doing web application development and testing. Wow. That's um, very enterprising. I, so, so I got to ask you, see that, that's actually amazing. Um, you should have started your own company. And that's, that's actually a goal of mine. Um, and it's, it's more, it's not, it's, it's more so I just need to do it instead of thinking about it. Um, but I had a friend who was a designer, so he would do all the design and, 
pretty colors and stuff. And then I would just take his work and put it into code. And uh, so, so we had a good thing going. But you were and selling it. We were selling it. Yeah. I, I, that's kind of how I got started. And then one day there was this r- small business in, in Asheboro, North Carolina. It was a small software development business. So they would build this like really custom software. And uh, one day they were like, Hey, can you just come here? We have a lot of customers and clients that could use your uh, expertise and include our own website. Cause I actually had called them and said, Hey, you're a computer business doing software and your website looks really outdated. And uh, their expertise was not around web at all. And so oh. they were kind of lacking that area. So I kind of did take that, that job because one of the things about starting a business is sometimes you're eating ramen noodles for, for, you know, weeks on end because you don't have money because all your money's going towards the development of things and trying to get customers and clients and things. So, um, you know, having a job is a little more secure, but, um, but anyways, I ended up taking it because I wanted to, you know, hone my skills and, and build an even bigger portfolio. And I felt like working with some larger clients and customers, I could kind of do that thing. And then eventually I went off to do more contract work with uh, like AT&T. And, and then when I moved out to California, I was working at Uber, uh, more so doing like automation testing for some of their internal tooling that just happened to be okay. web-based. And then I went over to Apple, uh, where I actually worked on apple.com. Now I didn't work on any of the backend stuff. It was all front end stuff that we were working on. Um, wow. but it got me, uh, I, I learned a lot there, especially with JavaScript. So, uh, a lot prior to that, a lot of it was like more so in like C sharp and, and other older kind of frameworks. Um, yep. but at, at Apple it was a lot of JavaScript. So I, I learned, uh, the entire stack for, for that and all the modern frameworks that people are using. And so during that time, right after the, uh, the, the ele- Donald Trump's, uh, election 2016, I don't know if you remember, but there was this, um, consensus that there could have been potentially that Russia meddling in, in elections sure. and things. And so there was this big push from the federal government, um, to stand up a cyber that all basically all the states needed to have some type of cybersecurity in place to be able to detect and monitor in the event that there was a nation state threat that was, uh, you know, meddling in elections and things like that. So, and this was in, um, this was later in 2017 when this kind of got pushed up. And so I got a, at the time, you know, I switched from active duty over to the national guard. And so, I got a call saying, Hey, you know, we we're looking for people to come do the cybersecurity thing. And I was like, man, that sounds so complicated. I, I don't know that the first thing when it comes to security. And so I kind of declined it and they're like, no, 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 you got to come down at, le- at least talk to us. Right. We're going to put you on orders. And so I was like, okay. So I, I go to Sacramento and the, and the, the list of things that I needed to know was like four pages long for his requirements. So I'm like, look, maybe I know the first page, these other pages, I don't know anything about. And so they're like, no, we just need people. We got to find some technical people. Um, and kind of what happened was the state, um, they kind of ran out of money because it's an expensive operation to do. And so the military kind of helped fund the rest of it. But the, the clause was you have to hire military people, right? You can't just hire uh, other state workers or, or whatever. So we had this interagency contract with the National Guard and, and the state, uh, California Department of Technology. And so while I was there, uh, they had so many different types of contractors and people would come in and basically teach us everything we needed to know. Um, and so I learned a lot. Uh, I met my, my mentor, uh, Dennis Chow. Uh, he would work like super late at night to, we, I mean, we were trying to ramp up as quickly as possible. So that's kind of how I got into security, um, was through that interagency contract with 
the National Guard and the Department of Technology. That, that's very cool. But, you know, in listening to your story, it, it strikes me that you had a pretty clear sense of direction even before you went on the mil into the military, you were taking AP classes, you had a computer background. In the military, you did networking things. And when you got out, you really pursued the technology path. There's a lot of pe people, a lot of veterans in the military that don't have that clear sense of individual mission is what I should call it, right? Mm -hmm. What would you say to them if they're coming upon the final part of their deployments and they're looking at transitioning to civilian life, is there any guidance you could offer them? Yeah. So, so I think a lot of people join the military cause it's, it's, it's not like the first thing those, you know, as you're, when you're a kid growing up, like, ah, oh, I want to go to the military. Uh, th there are a few people that you meet in the military that their family, their dad and grandpa was all in. So they feel obligated to join. But a lot of, the people that I met and worked with, it was like not going to college or don't really know what I want to do. So I'm just going to go join the military or you grew up in a really rough uh, environment. Maybe don't have a lot of family or support. So you're, you're going to go to the military. I even met people that their, their choice was go to prison or join the military. That's, that's oh, wow. You would meet all kinds of people, but typically it wasn't the the, the, the rich kid who had a, a four-year degree or whatever. Um, and then sometimes you know, for officers, they would, a lot of them go into the military because they do go get those four-year degrees, but they want to work on things. Like for example, flying, right? You could go yeah. fly for Delta Airlines, but you'll never fly those crazy cool jets That's uh, right. that, that the government has. So it, it really just depends on your reasoning. Um, but when you're transitioning now, <clears throat> I kind of, it's kind of a decision that you make before. I already knew, uh, since I was like a kid that I wanted to work with computers. And so when I went to go sign up, I said, look, I'm going to join, but I want to work on computers. And you obviously have to test high enough on your ASVAB to, to get those jobs. Um, and then I just looked at it as a long-term goal. This was going to be my career. Now, if you're in a situation where you may have joined the military, but now you're wanting, and maybe you're not in the, the tech part in the military, but now you kind of want to transition to it. It's, it's going to be a little tough. You're going to probably have to work some jobs if you want to work, which I did too, transitioning out of the military, because my thought was the, the reason why I switched from active to guard was I was like, well, I learned all these skills. I'm going to get out of the military and go make all this big money. But, you know, yeah. when you get out, the, the I guess the hardest thing is people don't necessarily look at your military experience uh, as valid um, compared to someone who might have why? You know, real job experience or, um, a, a degree well and dallas I think, why is that what we yeah. I, I think it's people's perception of what the military does right we just tote guns and go blow things up um they might not understand that the history of the military right we the military created the the internet that we all use and has no that was al gore <laughs> <laughs> so um so there's a lot of practices but i just think people's perception of the the military uh, people just don't view it as a place where you could gain a lot of uh, technical skills as much as you can gain uh, perseverance and determination and work ethic, which you do in the military because you're forced to do it. Um, so it, it becomes second nature to you. Um, so that was like a big struggle for me was going to go get this high end paying tech job. And they're like, yeah, you don't have enough experience 
Um, and in some cases it's true because you're working with the private sector who have customers and you need customer service experience. And you've spent a lot of time in the military where it's, you know, things are a little different. You don't necessarily have customers that you're, you have to communicate with and, and understand a lot of business logic around what you're doing. Um, you know, you just do the job, however it gets done, it gets done. That's the mission. You know, there's no sugarcoating it. You don't have to yeah. worry about money and deals and, and making sure that the customer is always happy, uh, making sure that you're securing certain things. Um, and so I think that's, that's the main reason is it's just people's perception of what the military does and what skills we gain from the military. See that That's interesting. Cause we hire a lot of veterans and, um, our experience has been very, very positive, you know, finding people that want to work first off. Yeah. You know, nothing's a bed of roses, but when people are coming out of the military, there is a work ethic there. There's an acumen to trying to learn something. Um, They're good, loyal people. That's at least what we've discovered. So hopefully people listening to this, especially even if it's our competitors, you guys can help somebody out. That's, yeah, and one I thing I wanted to, to know is uh, Perimeter X, they're an Israeli company, <clears throat> and a lot, like pretty much all of their engineers that's doing phenomenal work with detection models and things come from come from the military, because in, in Israel, you have to, I think, do two to three years. and Mandatory, like, right? Yeah, and so they have like zero ramp-up period because they join, and they already kind of know the industry and, and what's happening, and I think... Um, at least for American companies, when they're looking at a veteran, it's not just see U.S. Army and assume that everyone's going out into the battlefield and uh, toting a rifle every day, you know, doing that kind of work, maybe look into their MOS and even just go to, you know, airforce.gov or the Army or whatever and look at what skills and what they're actually doing and, and have that conversation with them and let them explain what they've learned uh, through their years in the military. So... You know, switching over to to cyber, and you just mentioned your, your uh, Perimeter X, and they're using military models. You also mentioned you worked at Apple briefly on the front end. What you know, those interfaces on the front end are vulnerable to attack. Um, are there? Can you share some ideations or things you guys did at the design level to to harden? websites maybe not necessarily apples but you know in general good rules of thumb procedurally that that you followed yeah so when i was at apple i I didn't even think about security it was a a second nature i knew that you had to encrypt the connection and you you didn't want uh, passwords in plain text or, or credit card information so i knew the basics but i didn't think about the 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 broad spectrum of different types of attacks that occur I knew there was DDoS, you know, you, you know, take down the website for a few hours or whatever. Um, and I was mainly working on the, the customer experience or the design. It's very important for Apple to, when their website goes out, it's perfect. Like every little pixel has to be pixel perfect. Um, really? Yeah. It's, 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 it's the, the amount of time spent on making sure that every single pixel on the page is, is perfect is, um, you know, that's, that's Apple. That's, that's the image that they want to portray. So. We've all been to websites where it's kind of janky or things don't work. And that's the last thing Apple wants to put out there. So they're very, uh, the, the image, it, it matters a lot to them. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure there was a security team making sure that the, the site was secure, but that wasn't necessarily my function. Um, and, and to take things, I guess, a little back is I was working at Blue Shield doing incident response and a lot of sensitive data there and, and, and a lot oh, yeah. of interesting things. Um, but I was a contractor there and I kind of wanted to be an employee and, and work at, a, a, you know, that was kind of my goal. And I came across this company called Primrex and I didn't really know who they were. And I check, I remember checking their website and I was like, is this even a real company? And so I emailed, you know, I applied for the job and I got it right away. But what interested me about it was I could take my web skills that I had previously learned and I kind of missed working on because I like that kind of thing and merge it with this security thing. And so that's what ended up happening. And while I was there, you know, at Blue Shield, we're focused on just blocking every little thing that comes across because not that we're paranoid, but sensitive data leaks are, you know, it's, it costs the company a lot of money and you're dealing with people's health information, which is on a right. whole nother level stuff. So it's just block, block, block everything. Just, we don't care if we block someone legitimately, just block everything and we'll worry about unblocking later. Um, and so at Primer X, you know, when I first went in, I thought that's what we we're going to do. We're just going to just block anything that's trying to access the website, but you have tons, millions of people out there that's trying to buy something or whatever. And so when I was there, that's kind of where I learned all the the different types of, of potential attacks from, you know, you, you have botnets that attack sites and maybe they have a list of credit card information and they want to see which ones are valid. So they find a, a vulnerable page and they just ram through all of these credit cards and they're not necessarily buying anything. They just want to check to see if the cards are working. Um, and you might say, well, that's not necessarily like necessarily a bad thing. But on the business side, every single time a card transaction gets or a card gets verified, that's 50 cent, 25 cent. Whatever. Oh, yeah, that's cost a lot of money. Yeah. So th before, you know, it, they ran through a million and now the customer is paying this big fifty thousand five hundred thousand dollar bill and no one bought anything. So to them, that's a lot of money. And now their site's kind of hijacked and maybe it's their even their own customer's credit card information that they're kind of using. Um, and so the, you got stuff like that. You have ATOs where people are just trying to hack into accounts for whatever reason. And then you, the other thing I learned was like all websites are like Legos. They're built with Legos. Uh, all these different packages that you pull down because people's not going to recreate the wheel. So You're if right. someone's already created some function of the page, you, you can just pull it down and maybe do a little modification to it to, to make it yours, but at the end of the day, it's someone else's code. And I think now we're getting to a better stance where we're reviewing these and making sure that they're secure packages before they get pushed up to. I, I was know. just going to ask you that because if you're playing with other people's Legos, how do you know? Or how that's third party risk to me. How, how, how do you know? Oh, you don't know. Not always. You, you probably have to pull it down and test it and analyze the network traffic and, and see where it's going. And, um, Sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes the actor or the the uh, the malicious actor can kind of change the code to only work when it's on a client computer that's on Verizon or, or Spectrum or something. And when you're testing it in the cloud, it already knows it's potentially being evaluated, so it doesn't have the same behavior. And so one of the things that Prenrex does is they actually will analyze the code and what's going on with those JavaScript packages in real time and determine if it's malicious or not and being able to block those outbound connections to maybe a command and control or something like that. Or if it's collecting another thing, I, th I think it's called Magecart, 
Because I was like, how do these people get all this credit card information? Well, yeah, they just embed JavaScript into the site. So you're going to a legitimate site. It could be any site. And you're going through the checkout process and you're sending your credit card information to to the legitimate person and they're processing your order and everything's encrypted and all that. But you had this one malicious JavaScript module that's running and it's also taking that information and sending it to uh, the hackers that then will use it for malicious reasons. Um, and so, you know, I think security is an afterthought in a lot of cases when you're looking at your website and building it. And we're not thinking about all the different avenues of an attack. I know in like traditional sense, we know about cross-site scripting and those kinds of things and, you know, making sure the site's secure, the OWASP 10 rules or whatever. Um, but it gets bigger than that. So you have to be really careful what packages you're using. Um, and, and that kind of goes for anything. I think a few years ago it was funny because CCleaner is a very reputable little tool for Windows. And, you know, yeah. one of the updates pushed out some malware and now everyone's infected. The same thing goes for websites is you're used, maybe you've used a package for years and it's worked great. There's no problems. And then somebody sneaks in some malicious code because it's all open source. And now everyone's compromised before someone detected it and was able to, to update, you know, fix the package and push out an update. So having some type of real time module on your site that's running in the, the background of the page to monitor those JavaScript modules and outbound connections for malicious behavior and, and signatures is, is very important. And, you know, uh, yesterday uh, I was part of a, a briefing uh, on the, the Verizon uh, breach report. And um, it, it had a government agency that did some commentary on it as well. And when it came to credit cards, what was interesting is that back in uh, approximately, don't hold me to the note because my memory is not that good. I, I forget things in a couple hours. But in uh, 2015, there was a lot of credit card fraud. You know, I mean, that was like a huge avenue of attack. People wanted credit card numbers and then they were abusing the living daylights out of them. It is just a small blip now on the the in the world of breaches. Uh, most what they are saying is at least um, what we got from the government agency was that most of the the things are card not present transactions uh, that you know. So you've either saved the card data or the you know you're buying it on uh, a website like Amazon or something like that where the physical card isn't present. Because now with the cards having pins and and chips, it's become a lot harder to just compromise them. Uh, but they're when they do go after it, they're going after it in ways that you're t speaking about, you know, where the card is actually not present, but yet they're getting all the information and all the exactly, yeah, they're they're monitoring those checkout forms and uh, stealing that, and people don't know. They're it's not like the computer's slow or anything. It's just a normal checkout. And then before you know it, their information is out there. Or so, a, um, if you're storing things on, you know, on Chrome and let's say there's some type of vulnerability in Chrome and they're able to get into that and take all of your information, that's, that's another risk too. And that is in fact a really good practical point. This is why you should not store your passwords in your web browser and use a password manager. 
right? Yeah, I would definitely it, use something a little uh, that's more local if you can, um, instead of putting just everything in the, in the browser because a lot of these browsers are still open source. So it only takes like someone to sneak something in. And I th I'm pretty sure Google does an awesome job at making sure that everything is secure, but th there's tons of browsers out there. Not everyone uses it, but just storing it in the browser, it only takes one thing to, you know, hijack that. And, to, and, yeah. and, and I would imagine uh, if somebody did, find some of those vulnerabilities would be worth a lot of money. So people may not even talk about it. They want to keep it under wraps. So you could yeah. sell that vulnerability. Definitely. I mean, most zero days, it's not like they, they were, they, you don't know how long it's been out there in the wild and it's just oh, yeah. hush hush. And then we find it so long, you know, like the, the log four J thing, who knows how long it's been out there until someone found it. Cause it was the most, it was like a super simple exploit but no one really thought about it. Right. It, oh, I it, guarantee you governments all over the world, certain departments knew about it for a long, long time. Yeah. And they're like, hush, don't say anything. Don't say, don't anything. say it. And there, there, there was a lot of cash exchange to make sure people exactly. didn't say anything. Yeah. So <clears throat> with credit cards, I, I just want to mention for people out there, I, I, I know my, my bank does this and, and who I use uh, for, for your, you know, where when you're shopping online and stuff, a lot of us, you take our physical card and we type the numbers in, but I see banks now doing more like virtual numbers where you can generate a new number for whatever site you are. So if there is a, if there is a company that is compromised, you don't have to worry about your whole thing getting screwed. You can easily go and delete that number or just generate a new one. Every time you make Gener a purchase. I think Apple pay works along those lines. I can't confirm that, but when you uh, actually initiate a transaction, it's a virtual card number. It's not mm -hmm. your actual card number. So yeah, yeah. if that Capital company one, gets... they definitely do that. Capital one also does that. And I, I know some other ones that are doing well, so it might just be a good idea to just check with your bank or whoever your financial institution is and, and see if they offer that solution. That would be, uh, and maybe that's why there's been such a rapid drop in uh, credit card fraud relative to other forms of cyber bad things that have gone on out there. So, you know, uh, one thing that I read about on your profile, you, you put on there, you know, I want to analyze, understand, and influence other people. So how does that mindset, well, first of all, what do you mean by that? In what context is that? And, and has that mindset helped? you in uh as a security professional as a cybersecurity professional yeah so what that means to me is um, not analyzing people in a malicious way to try to deceive someone but everyone's perspective on life is, is a lot different sure. and so when i was younger you know the only perception that mattered was mine and and i didn't really understand like why would certain people think that way or, or do certain things and so when i what i mean by that is uh, i just want to have a deep understanding of how others feel and and how others think um, and everyone's experiences uh, will dictate how they view the world and, and their perception of, of reality. So that's what that means. Um, and then being able to take and understand someone at that level to then, um, you know, I think everyone appreciates when someone understands them and can appreciate their viewpoints, even if you disagree with them. Um, I think that's I okay agree with that. Yeah. But if you can understand someone, um, you know, I think you can have better discussions, you can have uh, better discourse, and then ultimately you could influence other people to possibly think like you. 
I don't know where this quote came from, but uh, it kind of resonates with with that statement is in order to argue your point of view, you should be able to argue the opposite better than your own view. And so if, if we That's were going to have a discussion of Chevy versus Ford and what is better, I should be able to advocate. I personally, I'm a Chevy person, but I <laughs> personally, I believe I should be able to walk to the other side and advocate for Ford better than I can Chevy, Chevy. Right. And that would give me kind of like an edge. So when I do have to, you know, if we're debating something, um, I, I should be able to do a better job, but I would also understand that side and, and everyone else's views and opinions on certain things. You know, the corollary to that is that you got to know your adversary better than they know themselves in many ways. Exactly. That's so that's exactly what that means for me. Yeah. You know, and, and that's very cool. And I, I guess, you know, one thing in a, since it, it's such a healthy mindset, what you're describing one of the places I could see it of being of, of immense value is in working with the people in the organization and trying to establish a culture of cybersecurity, which at least in my personal experience has been very rare. You walk into companies and cybersecurity is an isolated black box. A lot of times it's, it's a bunch of people working in the back room, but really everybody there in that organization is part of the cybersecurity team. Right. Yes, and, most definitely, definitely, because security, it can't be done by a few people because companies are big and there's different departments and people and it's everyone's effort. Everyone's effort contributes to how secure an organization is going to be. And you look at ransomware attacks, which have become so prevalent, the vast majority of them are because somebody clicked on something. Yeah. And that's, uh, that is such a hard problem to solve. When I was at PayPal, I, I don't know how many emails would come through and, and I don't think there's a perfect solution out there. I mean, there's, there's some, you know, Proofpoint I think does an excellent job, but things just always sneak through and by the time the analysts can detect it and find it and delete it and remediate it, someone's already clicked, clicked the link. And, and to give you a funny story at, at Blue Shield, uh, we had, we always had phishing tests to do okay and, uh, and we would administer these tests like we're the ones pushing out these fake emails that if someone clicks it now they have to go through the phishing training and one of our analysts was like you know he knew it was a phishing email but he still clicked on it and you know then he had to go do the phishing training so any you know but i'm thinking if we made that mistake plenty of people can um and so but that is a that is a big issue where people click a link or they think they're talking to someone that they're not and before you know it, you know, we've disclosed some information we shouldn't have. And then so, that leads to bigger compromises. So then the, I guess the question would be, why have companies not brought their raised employee awareness even more? Like some of the, the how, why they're vulnerable, you know, why you don't go to a trade show and take a USB drive and just stick it into your computer. Or uh, I'm just picking on some things or, you know, connecting to a free Wi-Fi network and, and doing work on it. And uh, I, there's, it gets back to, I don't think most people are aware of the innocent actions that they're taking that are playing right into the hands of bad actors. And, and how do we fix that? Um, I think we have to make security easier. 
I think a lot of times people do things out of convenience. It's easier to just stick a thumb drive in a computer and copy data than it is to go through some encryption process and do this whole login and, and do everything securely, even though that's what you should do. Um, and I think that we have to come up with creative solutions where it is as easy as sticking a thumb drive in a computer and pulling data or whatever it is. And so I think that's probably the, the big thing. Um, and also I feel like sometimes even for me, training is, is just really cut and dry. It's not as engaging, um, oh, man. where you have like more interactive scenarios. And I think if, I think if, um, if we were going to do training, it would be, it'd be a lot cooler to have like little labs that people go to and can, can see exactly what happens on the back end. M maybe that will entice them to, uh, think, think about what they're doing before they do it. Um, Cause I know for me, we take the, we do the little training videos and it's like, obviously don't click the phishing email. Um, <laughs> but I don't think we go through and show them how they can check for themselves. If an email is bad, they have to use some assumptions um, or there's, there was people at blue shield that would report legitimate emails all the time. Cause they would just assume it's phishing. And then you, we tell them, no, this is legitimate. This is legitimate. This is legitimate. And then they say, you know what? I'm tired of reporting these emails. So I'm not going to report anymore. There's a lot of problems of why people uh, almost subject themselves to cyber attacks. And I don't necessarily think it's their fault. I just think that we're going to have to think from a security side, how to make things easier, how to make training better, um, and then educate them on, you know, what to look for so that they're not sending us a bunch of legitimate emails and at the same time, they're reporting the legitimate ones. And I also think that we could, you know, create better tools. I don't know why email is just, it's a big black box of just random bad stuff all the time. It's kind of why I don't like <laughs> to use email. I'd much rather use something like Slack. I but agree. Business, business still uses email. And the problem with it is can, it's easily spoofable. Things look so legitimate, you don't know. And so... There's also the emotional side to it. Uh, you know, I got something on you and if you don't do that, you know, blackmail scenarios or, Hey, win a thousand dollars if you do this and people just click on it for whatever reason. And so oh, it's I, so I, tempting. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, and I'm like, I don't understand why a lot of these email algorithms can't pick up on those um, exploits on emotion where Typically, people don't send those type of emails if it's at least in business anyway. I'm not going to send my. Well, uh, you look at things. charities; you would really shut them down. Yeah, that so would be that would be true. That's true. You know, you you pick uh, the American Cancer Research Institute, or you pick uh, St. Jude's Hospital. I'm just picking on some random ones. Uh, I'm not affiliated to any of them, but they uh, none of those emails are, uh, you know, happy. <laughs> that that's true. That there, true. There's, there's a sob story there, I, and and I'm not minimizing that. Those are very serious topics. I, I do want to say that. Yeah, I know you're right. I I didn't necessarily uh, think about that. It didn't cross my mind. But yeah, you're right. There are some legitimate cases out there where emotion needs to be involved, right? Because you want that. They're trying to get funds for legitimate reasons. That Wounded Warrior Foundation. Look at their stuff, yeah. man. I, the, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another avenue of attack where people could throw that same message out there and 
they're donating money to some malicious group of people. You, you know, you hit on something that, um, you know, our, our producer, Emily, she's on right now and, and she, she could probably tell you, I've been on this thing. The topic of cybersecurity in generally is very dry. I said it, everyone. <laughs> it's it a is. very, it, it, it is. And, and I know there's a lot of videos, like you said, there's explainer videos out there. There's podcasts out there. There's a lot of things out there. But whoo, man, if you got insomnia, some of those can work real well for that for that problem. The 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 engagement is simply very, very low. And I think it's exactly you you're on to something there, Dallas. If there is a way to make it much more engaging, I think the effectivity of these programs would go through the roof. You know, people People don't understand it. You know, they read these stories, but they don't know. They haven't had the experience yet of what does it like to be the victim? What happens when I'm actually the victim? There's no, it's not tangible to them. And the training doesn't make it tangible, typically. Yeah, it is. That's very, very much the case. And we do these fishing exercises every six months and people at least for me, even for me, it's like, well, I got to go do this training to just get the certificate so that, you know, I, I get to keep my job for another six months. And so people just rush through it, they get it done and and then they forget about it. And that's, it's not engaging. And then you don't think about it for until something. No, happens. you don't. Yeah. It's like out of sight, out of mind. And, and you said something else when you brought up the Chevy versus Ford thing, which I thought was a very uh, good observation that you do have to know your adversary quite well. And I think that's something that I have not yet seen as part of the training of a cybersecurity program, understanding the psychology of bad actors. Why do they do what they do? And how do they organize themselves to do what they do? And how can we then in turn put up blockades to stop them from doing what they do, right? I mean, I just don't, it seems like everything is on the technology side. It's like, well, if we'll put in these detection things, this prevention stuff, but maybe if we attacked it at a more fundamental level. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And uh, so something that, that, that's what we do, right? We find ways to block traffic or we're trying to solve this, this issue that involves more than technology because a lot of attempts are social engineering and it's leveraging humans weak, or I don't say humans weaknesses, but vulnerabilities and uh, mistakes or whatever. And, and we're just trying to solve the issue with uh, technology, which technology is a great asset and it's a great tool, but it's not going to really solve the root of the problem. One of the things that, uh, so right now I'm at human security. And one of the things that was so interesting is, by the way, that's a very interesting name for a security company. It is, but it makes so much sense. And I think the name, it's just, it just really speaks for the company. Um, everything is about human and, and what that means. Um, and one of the things that they're pretty proud on is, yes, we, we use technology to detect bots and things. And, but they also had issues where they tracked down these 
criminal groups and they work with the FBI to say, hey, this is what we have on them. And, you know, they'll go and arrest these people for for what they're doing. Um, And I think that's a very interesting story. There's not a ton of companies out there. I don't know another company that actually does that. I didn't even know that's what they did. I really thought they were just strictly a competitor to Perimeter X. And I was interested in learning what what other attack scenarios I could learn from the website and, and how they, how their customers work and things. And, um, and so, but, but what was interesting is they're like, no, we'll like, tra- we'll track this for a long period of time and we'll work with other agencies and people to go take down these groups. Um, and so that, that was very interesting. And then we're still doing that. So, because that takes care of the root of the problem. But one of the founders, Tiffany, that's kind of his premises. We can block, but then what happens? You play this cat and mouse game or, or right. um, whack-a-mole. You block, they figure a way around it. You block again, they find a way around it. You got to be able to stop the root of the problem. And one way is you have to understand what their motive and drive is. If you, if you know what that is and then you make it extremely difficult um, to do that or the incentive is no longer there, then they end up stopping. So if we, if we look at um, like what we do, if we make it, if we make the cost higher than the reward, then they just stop doing it because there's, they're, they're not going to make any money. They have no motivation or drive to do that. And how but do you if, do that? Give us some examples. Yeah. So what we do is we make it so difficult for them to, we, we have a lot of creative solutions but we'll, let's just say that they're on the site and they're going to go through a bunch of lists of credit card information. Okay. We may tell them that that half the credit cards are valid. And we really just set up this whole honeypot system and they have no idea. So they go and they sell this data that they say is all valid. In reality, it's not valid at all. So there's that's just one way. Um, or you know, we, we sell them fake ads or whatever. They think they're going to get the real thing. So it's just, you got to be creative instead of just blocking. Sometimes you have to kind of fool them into thinking that something's real. Um, or we, we make it that, um, or, or we put blocking measures in place where they could still accomplish the goal. But now instead of needing like 10, you know, 10,000 machines, they need a million machines now. And then if we add on the fact that we're going to honeypot them or do some other type of thing, then... Um, it just increases the cost for them. So I can't give away all the all the the secret goods. Uh, no, I, I I just wanted some examples there. But th- now, can this be implemented at an average company, or is this only reserved for the megacorps of the world? No. So a lot of these solutions, and, and including Perimeter X, is at least for web-based stuff, it's simple as just adding adding a tag to your website, like Google Analytics. Everyone adds the Google Analytics thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we can then track all of that information and, and put in mitigation steps in place. And um, at least for, for human, we have like 12 or more solutions other than a CAPTCHA page because bots can obviously get through that with no problem. So we've created a lot of different types of solutions to to combat that. And, and the, the great thing is that the adversaries are always looking for, Oh, they're going to block me and I'll know when I'm blocked and then I'll shift gears a little bit, but we don't let them know that we block them. We know that they're there. We're just toying with them and playing this game with them. And, and, uh, 
And so, but yeah, it's very easy. Just adding a JavaScript tag to your site is, is it's really that simple. And there's some backend things that you might have to do. Um, but I know for us, we kind of help with assist with that, or there's a module you can just append to Cloudflare or something like that. And it, there's not a whole lot of work that companies need to do. You know, um, what, what you just said is that there's a long held saying in, uh, or understanding, not saying it's a, it's a practical understanding in the world of InfoSec that it's very easy typically for a adversary to figure out how they, you, they were blocked or prevented, mm -hmm. right? it's extremely difficult for them to figure out how they were detected. Right. So if you're, if more people would do this playing a little bit of cat and mouse here, where you're not just outright blocking them, but you've detected them and now you're driving the bus. I think um, some of these adversaries, well, they would probably step up their game, but they'd be pretty ticked off. And I know some of these groups don't take it very kindly when they're, when they get a spoonful of their own medicine. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's very true. Um, and, and another thing is that, w that we do, cause I, we've noticed that they're getting better at learning how they were detected. And so something really, we, yeah. So, and then what they'll do, let's say that I'm just, this is overly simplified, but let's just say that we had a simple detection that was just looking for a certain type of header or okay. TLS information. Sure. And they're like, oh, that's, that's what I need to change. Or I need to make it distributed so that the, the detection engine can't determine that I'm bad because now I have distributed all these data fields that they're looking at. And so something unique that we do here is we always try to create multiple ways to detect so instead of creating one detection that detects this thing how else could we detect it and then every single time that they get if they are blocked um they're like oh well they blocked me because of this but then the next time and when they're maybe they're testing to figure out how they're getting blocked we're always blocking them for a different reason every single time so it, it makes it really difficult for them to even understand that and then when you add on the complexity of like sometimes we might just give you a block page. But then the next time we're going to put you in this little virtual environment that you don't know exists and toy with you a little bit. Um, it just adds the complexity where they're, they're spinning wheels trying to figure out how to get uh, past this. And then eventually they give up because it's going to cost either time or money. That's the most important thing is increasing the complexity of time for them to reverse engineer the solution or to perform some action on the page um, or increasing the cost where now it's the, the return on value is not there. So there's no reason for them to do it. In, in all your years of experience, how many companies do you think as a percentage have really gotten this right to doing exactly what you're talking about, where they've increased the cost of attacking them to the point where they're no longer low hanging fruit. I mean, I would say probably not a lot. I honestly, maybe a handful of companies. Oh, um, really? It's that low? Yeah. I mean, if you think about like, so cybersecurity is such a broad spectrum, but most the, they're, they're, 
a human, I, I, I don't know. This is not like our mission statement or whatever, but ideally we would like to say that we don't need to be a business anymore because we've stopped all the hackers and there's no incentive for criminals to go out and do these malicious activities. Um, and, and that's really the goal is, is to not need uh, crazy cybersecurity solutions because we've made security so well that there's no benefit to doing it. Um, but that's never the case because something new will come along and sure. you know, take advantage of that. Um, but I don't, a lot of companies, they're, they're focused on just primarily blocking and they make money from saying, Hey, we blocked 50,000 threats. And at the end of the day, every month, they're going to say the same thing and the customer sees value. So they keep paying into this product, but we're not doing enough to prevent them from even doing it in the first place. So it just keeps happening until someone fixes some vulnerability in code, but then there's another vulnerability and there's always going to be another vulnerability. And it's, the, you know, it has to be. Model. Yeah. So at the end, we're, we're not doing anything to prevent people from doing or criminal groups from doing anything. We're just building this fence around the business, multiple fences, but we're not taking care of the root solution. And I couldn't say how many companies are out there that's trying to be more proactive and, and make it harder or less enticing for criminal groups to do this. Um, but like all the years I've worked, I've never seen a company or any product that does that other than human. You know, um, let's, that, that's very cool. Now let me ask you this. I agree with everything you've said, but I want to switch it now to main street USA. So if I'm a small business, okay. And, and, and remember that we'll just keep using the old target be breach because they got penetrated by an HVAC contractor, right? So it's some, another small entity. If I am a small business that does business with other larger businesses and I don't have the team. I might only have 20, 30 people in my organization and I, and I don't have the budgets to, to do a lot of things. Are there any things that you could suggest for them as a matter of practical course that they should do to make themselves a lot more difficult to get into so they don't become the conduit by which some of their best customers get compromised? That's a very interesting question. It's a very difficult question to answer um, because, you know, with like a larger organization, they know their attack surface. They have the money, the resources to, to right. combat these things. But right, a lot of small businesses, a big thing is time. They just don't have the time. You know, they, they're they're operating on, a, on less resources, uh, less, you know, they don't have the people, the, the money, whatever, as you mentioned. And so their primary focus is making money and right. how they do that efficiently as possible, which is in which they're probably also uh, sacrificing security to some degree. Um, maybe not because they want to, or that they even know that they're doing it. It's just, that's how they've done business. And we always heard, well, that's the way we've always done it. Um, <laughs> which is it's probably the worst thing you could say because yeah. things change and you got to change with them. It's a difficult question. You know, it's something that I'd really, really have to think about. But one of the things that I think could be could benefit small business is, and I think just in general companies across the planet is criminal groups. 
they're like two peas in pods. Like they could be from different regions of the world, but they're always communicating and they're like best friends with each other all the time, right? They're always sharing data, keeping it hush hush. And so I think it would benefit small business at least to understand their, um, their, their attack surface and, and what vulnerabilities are out there. And so there's tons of small businesses that are, you know, kind of the same. They're just in different regions that they're small, you know, little satellite companies, if you will. And we kind of need some type of platform that, and this is really hard to do. So criminal networks, they work in the dark and not everyone has access to the information they do. And so how do you replicate how they share and information in the business sector that's open to kind of everyone uh, because you also don't necessarily want the adversaries to know what you know, that gives you an advantage because if you know what they know and they don't know that you know it, then they think that they're, they have the edge, but yep. in reality they don't. And so I think I, I don't have a, a, a great way to design this, but I think we have to share information and data about what we see, what happened to them so that, they're aware and they can start making changes. And especially if it's uh, on the tech side, let's just say that you're running uh, WordPress or whatever, and your friend had this attack happen to them. Well, now it, it's a lot easier for them to fix one problem than it is to try to make everything secure all at once. And so I think being able to share that information and, and share experiences would be would be helpful. And this even happens in big enterprises um, at Blue Shield, for example, they're, they operate at a state level. So there's a Blue Shield in North Carolina. There's a Blue mm. Shield in California, then Texas, wherever. And even they don't share what happened. There was like a, a big, there was like, you know, some cyber wow. attacks that was happening in another state. I didn't and they didn't share it. And one is because they don't want to appear vulnerable or be embarrassed or whatever. You know, they try to keep it under wraps and, and they're only going to disclose anything if, if data got leaked. And so, because they don't want to, draw attention, but it would have helped California and and all these other states if they knew that it happened to them so that they could go look to see if they had a similar thing, but that did not happen. So then what ended up happening is, you know, this one state figured out the problem and fixed it, but then the adversary is like, okay, I'm just going to go attack all the other blue shields. And no one's sharing information here. So and with small business, I know they have a lot of different support groups and they all kind of try to band together to support yeah. one another. And maybe if they could create something within that, within cybersecurity. Um, ISAC for small businesses. Yeah, essentially. So that way they can get alerts um, and some education on, there's a lot of great open source tools and intelligence out there that I'm not sure that people are aware of. And I think one of the things is we have to make cybersecurity sexy and like the thing that you want. Like everyone wants Google Analytics because everyone goes to Google, but no one wants security. And a lot of times, like one of the questions you asked earlier is like security is always that those people that no one wants to talk to, they make everything difficult. And so people ignore it or they try to avoid it. And I think we have to change that and make it the the new the new hot thing that everybody wants. And That's... I think as more people get intertwined into it, then the community in general will push out more open source products and services that small businesses could then just take advantage of, um, such as we do with like software development frameworks, you know, 
React, for example, is a, is a great modern JavaScript framework that any small business could pick up and use and build a new website for a client. Um, and But Facebook is funding most of the research and development into that, but it is open source, so anyone can contribute and modify and things like that. So there's a lot of stuff out there for that. I just don't know there's a lot for cybersecurity. You also have to think about there's pizza shops and all different types of businesses. Um, and so being able to implement some type of, and they're all on different systems. That's another a hurdle that we have to get through is they're all on different systems, which in a way is a good, is good for small business because then, you know, it's harder to make an exploit that targets a wide range of small businesses because you have to make it different. You have for to make people. it unique yeah. for each one. And so that, no, that's a very good answer. And you're right. It's a difficult question. I, 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 there's no simple, but it's a good concept. Let's, let's share information and then replicate that across different groups. And, and that might have an effect. Dallas, we're actually at the hour where I, um, I wanted to give you the, the last minute here. Is there anything that you want to plug or any events, talks, anything that you're, you might be doing that you want to guide our listeners attention to? That are up yeah, um, you know, uh, I'm going to be in Black Hat this uh, this uh, coming August. So if you're in the area, come to the human booth. I'll be there. Um, you can come say hey, ask any questions. Definitely hiring uh, new people. So I'd always like to have a chit chat um, or if there's any maybe business prospects or whatever um, partnerships, sure. definitely. Um, but we're there to educate and, and to get people on to know who human is and what we do and how we can help. Um, so, so that's that. And, uh, the other thing is, uh, security isn't, doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be a pain in the ass, so to speak. So, um, just, just jump in. We're a friendly group of people and, uh, we're just here to help and, and make sure that everyone is secure online. Fantastic. Well, Dallas, thank you so much for giving us your time. Really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic conversation, and I'm sure people are going to be able to take some advice and, and start putting it to some practical use. So, Yes, uh, anytime. It's been an honor, and I really appreciate the invite. Well, take care, and you should have a great weekend. All right. You too.